Anonymous Eskimo, episode 92. What's up? Welcome to the Anonymous Eskimo Podcast, where my guests share their stories about mental health, sobriety, recovery, and hope for people still struggling with mental health issues, alcohol, and drug addiction. If you'd like to help support this podcast, please visit my website at anonymouseskimo.com and click on the Donate button. There, you have three different options to donate. First, you can donate directly through PayPal. Second, you can make a one-time donation through Buy Me A Coffee. And third, you can become a Patreon subscriber. You can also support the podcast by clicking on the Store button, where you can get anonymous Eskimo merch. And while you're visiting my website... Please take some time to rate this podcast and write a review. Recording from Denina Land, I'm your host, Ralph Sara. On this episode, I have Molly Chukbaak. Molly is from the Tona Otum Nation in southern Arizona. Molly is a loving mother to 10 children. She is a part of Native Strength Revolution, where she is a certified yoga instructor. She also recently ran the New York City Marathon. Molly is 10 years sober, and on this episode, Molly courageously shares her story for those still struggling. So guys, please help me welcome Molly Chukbaak. Hi Molly, how are you? I'm wonderful, Ralph. I'm wonderful this Saturday evening. Yeah, yeah. Um, Last night I had a gig I played at um, a place called the Carousel Lounge and it was it was a late night for me, but I'm happy to be here this morning, and it's really pretty out there, sunny and cold. <laughs> Interesting combo. I ran a half marathon this morning out on the Hill River Reservation, so I'm just recuperating now, still in my euphoric state. Oh my gosh. How, how, how many miles is a half marathon? Half marathon is 13.1. Oh, man. And you just ran that? I just ran that. And Whoa. a couple of weeks ago, I was in New York and I ran a full marathon. It's 26.2 miles. Oh, my gosh. The New York City Marathon. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And how did you get into uh, long distance running? That's funny. I've always liked running and then addiction, like, took that away, right? Took away that passion. I was an athlete. But during my incarceration, the first time, running helped me get back. Um, I had realized, okay, you have no bond. You're kicking dope you're not going home. The reality, right? And uh, I had to get myself up and just start walking the tier. And then we're like on lockdown for a good 30 days. And then finally we got out and I just ran, started running, running. And all during my incarceration time, I ran any chance I could get. It was just like a way for me to stay out of trouble, pray, burn myself out 
and know that I'm one more day closer to going home. Wow. And it just helped me in that way. It just helped me stay sane. And when I returned home, I never really like competed or did any running, like, you know, 5Ks, 10Ks, anything like that. And um, a good friend of mine introduced me into, like, I wouldn't say competition, but just more, I run more for prayer. My running is prayer. I'm running for somebody, not for myself for a cause, raising money, or just, like I said, just prayer. I read somewhere where you said you were, you were saying you run for other people. And I read um, something that you said, you said, I run for those who cannot, those suffering from substance or alcohol abuse, mental and physical abuse. I run for the ones before us. And I run for those who are still on their way to this universe. And man, that really like hit me, you know, such a, like a healing statement. Thank you. Yes, that's, that's what it is. You know, it's, it's in our bloodlines and our people did it too for us, right? Not only to like save situations, save villages, but just to run in general, good health. Um, celebrations, you know, it's really embedded in all of our bloodlines. And now I'm, I'm able to pay it forward or to be a part of that same way. I read somewhere else, some, something else. I think it was like a meme or something. Um, it said somewhat to the effect that um, the people that, that have been through such struggles are the people who are most um, are, are, are the healers, you know, that help heal other people because they've been through it. You know, I agree with that statement. I agree with that. Totally. Molly, can you go ahead and introduce yourself so everybody can uh, get to know you? Yes. My name is Molly Chukpaak, originally Norris. I come from the Norris family. I'm from the Tona Autumn Nation. We are far south along the Mexico border and on the other side in Mexico also. That's my dad's side. My mom is Akme Autumn, and those are the river people and desert people, I think. The popular name is like Pima and Papago. Okay. That others know, but I'm from Southern Arizona. Okay. Very cool. And I am a mother of 10. I have 10 children. Wow. 10 children. And that's a big number. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. It's my husband and I together. My husband and I have together have 10 kids and um, three grandbabies. So we have a big family. That's amazing. Holy cow. That's <laughs> <laughs> what a lot of people say, like, wait, what? But <laughs> yes, truly blessed with children, seven boys and three girls. We adopted one and um, the rest are, are ours. Wow, that's so amazing. So... You were referred to me by Janae Thompson. She recommended you for my podcast. Janae is so awesome. I had the honor to teach her yoga during her time in treatment. That's what I do now. Today, I help Indigenous and others, but majority Indigenous people in early recovery here in Arizona. I started my own business and I provide my yoga services, but I also do business development, like liaison work, like I do everything, but just to help the the people in their, in their journey, you know, something that wasn't really given to me. And so I, you know, made the path. And so I help others and I taught her four days out of the week 
and we built a relationship and yoga helped me in my early recovery. It helped me find myself. People majority think it's about like movement or, you know, like these crazy poses and stuff that that's a part of it. But number one is finding oneself and building up the body that we've abused for so long in addiction. And it's been an amazing journey. And I'm just really honored with Scott to share that time with her, share a little bit of myself, you know, just little pieces here and there and um, just grew that bond with her. And I was really honored to have time and space and share with her and teach her, help her find herself in her journey and um, today we're still connected. I recently went and visited Alaska for the first time and I was there for my birthday in June and Alaska's beautiful, so beautiful and dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> cool. What were you up here for? Just for your birthday? My birthday and pay homage to the people and my coming out, basically, I would say I had just left the job. You know, I've always worked for somebody, and this was me finally starting my business. And I went out to NCAI conference out there and just wanted to see what was going on in Indian country, connect with the detox centers there, see where I could be useful just make contact, see what was going on up there, what you guys had in place, and maybe how could I help in that way. I had gotten a couple of job offers, like, just stay. And I'm like, it's too cold here. Oh, Oh. Oh, man, I could tell you what, um, in treatment, when I was in treatment, man, that would have been so cool if we had somebody there that would... um, kind of teach that yoga, that healing part of yoga. I mean, there is, you know, um, people that that maybe would come for one class or whatever, but, but far and, you know, few and far between. But if there was somebody there that would, like, have that part of the healing process with all the, you know, all the, you know, the residents in treatment, that would be so, so amazing, especially an indigenous person. Um, what, what part of you're, you're part of like a, a, like a group or something. What is that called? Yes, that's native strength revolution. Kate Jennings, she, she's from the Laguna tribe. And this was one of her dreams to have other indigenous people from all over the world to get certified and go back and help their communities. And it's, it's flourishing. It's blooming now. And I was granted a scholarship to get certified a couple of years ago during the pandemic. And it just opened so much doors, so many doors after I got that certification. Like it, like I said, it, it helps you find yourself. Like, what is your purpose? A deeper appreciation of yourself, more confidence. And then as you teach, it just grows and grows and grows. I had no clue it was going to be like that. Like I said, yoga found me in treatment 10 years ago, over 10 years ago. And I wanted to do it. You know, I really wanted to, I was passionate about it. It helped me heal physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. It, it just wasn't time. I needed to do other things. I needed to get a place. I needed to get a job. I needed, it just didn't line up. And I put it out there. I'm a firm believer of, you know, manifestation and say it out loud and it'll come when it's time. And it came back. Mm. and I had the opportunity to, and I'm like, I'm grabbing it, I'm going to do it. And at this time, I was going through a, a divorce, and I was working construction, I was working like 
crazy long hours and come to find out my foreman practiced yoga. So he helped me make a schedule that would work for me to be able to take my class. And um, it, it lined up. It was time, right? Your, the cosmic tumblers lined up. Mm-hmm. And it was time. And it, it happened. And this is where I am today. Man, I totally believe in manifestation. Um, I was on a pod, I was a guest on a podcast not too long ago, and <laughs> we were trying to think of what it was, and we were telling stories about how we um, experienced that. And I was telling him, you know, when I was in treatment, I made a vision board, right? Mm-hmm. And on that vision board, I had things like, you know, I had my family because I wanted to get my family back. And I had, you know, material things like I had a bass guitar on there. And then I had a, you know, a house. And then I had a, a book that said The Anonymous Eskimo. <laughs> you know, New York Times bestseller kind of thing. And then I was like, um, I had that up. And then when I was commenced out of treatment and I got home, I put it up to where my uh, treadmill is. And then I would, I'd, I'd run every day and just, just look at that. And then, you know, just think to myself. And it's funny because it, maybe the universe won't give you exactly what you want or or what you're trying to manifest, but it it's in some some form or some way it'll like happen if you if you put uh, wheels to it, you know. Because like you know this podcast, <laughs> you know, it may yeah. not have been a book or whatever. And then there the bass guitar there of like uh, I don't know a year later. I was gifted that by my fiance. I was like, hey, wait, hold on a second. <laughs> I went down to the vision board and I was like, that's the guitar, exactly the same. Did you see this? And she was like, no, I didn't see nothing. So it's it's amazing how, <laughs> you know, that uh, that manifestation can work, you know. Um, it, it It's truly, truly, you know, something to think about. And I truly believe in it. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. And that's what I encourage my students, like on the yoga mat. The yoga mat is your safe space. It's your safe space. It's a place um, where you're, you know, our space has been invaded, violated throughout our lives. And this is our, our space where we can time travel and we can manifest and channel energy, heal our body and create dreams or awaken dreams you know it really helped them with that or quieting the mind but I'm like you don't I know you don't believe me and you might think I'm crazy but you can do this you can do this you have that power Mm, yeah and some of them take it some of them don't you know some come around and like hey you know I did this and I said this a year ago and today it happened and I'm like, yes, you know, I was just really happy for them uh-huh. <laughs> when they get that. Yeah. Is there, when you're doing yoga, is there any type of like tradition or cultural um, practices that, that you tie into it or is it just like strictly mind healing and body yoga that you teach? No, I, I twist it up, you know, I teach the first three vinyasas and I tie in my culture or I get familiar with who I have in front of me and honor their times because we all have our different seasons, different times, ceremonies going on, you know, just bring that to light, acknowledge it, you know, even they're away from home, let's acknowledge that, let's send good energy to your people who are preparing for ceremony. Or sometimes I'll sing a song from my culture or I just, it's just whatever you feel. So it's never just one thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's whatever I feel that day, whatever needs to be done. Uh, maybe one person is needing more uplifting or going through something. So we help that person uplift and um channel good energy to them Mm. 
You know, I was talking to somebody recently on a different interview, and we the subject of like ceremony and cultural activities came up, and we were talking about how, you know, some of these cultural activities or ceremony are really strict on who they let participate in. You know, if somebody's, you know, still drinking or, you know, still using or something like that, you know, they won't allow that to happen. But we're saying, you know, sometimes the people that are really struggling and are, you know, just trying to make it are the ones that need ceremony and these cultural activities the most, you know? Yes, I agree. I agree. And I say this to my peers, my students, you know, a lot of us, everyone is gifted a gift and we have a purpose. And sometimes we run away from our gifts. Sometimes we don't want them. We know songs, we have different um, talents, different gifts, and we try to mask them with the drugs and the alcohol, and yet it just comes more because we're not supposed to be doing the drinking and the drugging, right? So I'm like, embrace your gift. You can't run from it. It's not a burden. It's a, it's a gift, and honor it and respect it because our people need us. We are like our next elders. So we need to keep that going, teach somebody that song, teach somebody that dance, teach somebody how to make whatever it is that needs to be made. We know it, we see it, but we also honor and respect it because we're drinking and drugging. And I totally agree with that part of not being able to be there when you really, really need it. Yeah, I mean that that cultural as aspect. Um, some people um, are really like yearning for that, you know, because that's been taken away by this drugs and these drugs and uh, alcohol, you know, because it, it it just it seems like once you start to struggle in that that part of it, it's like your cultural identity and your 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 traditions and everything just fall away, you know? And all you could focus on is that, that drunk or that alcohol. And yeah. and I think that's a huge part of it for our indigenous people is to reintroduce that or help them reintroduce culture and tradition back into their lives so they can, you know, start to live a better life. Yeah, you don't know who you are, where you come from, then you're just kind of wandering, still searching. Where do I belong? Where do I fit in? Especially, you know, urban indigenous people. We see like the gang life or, you know, things that don't particularly pertain to us because someone didn't teach us. And once we get rooted in our culture or kind of know where we come from, it it sets a foundation, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, Molly, what can you can you tell everyone what things looked like before you got sober? <laughs> Chaos, chaotic. Um, I struggled with narcotics, um, crack cocaine, and opiates. And I was strung out on that for a long while. And it took me a long time to say I was an alcoholic because my perception of alcoholic was, you know, somebody passed out on the ground, pissed and threw up all over them or just binge drinking day and night. And I didn't do those things. But when I read the book, I'm like, that is me. Ah, I was so, like, disgusted with it. (laughs) And it was always, always a drink that took me back out, right? I would get these stints of clean time. I don't want to do this. I'd have a baby, breastfeed, and then uh, I'd be clean. But it was always a drink that took me back out onto that run. When I really thought about it, it, took me back to the drinking and the drugging. 
and, and it was just an insane cycle. I didn't know how to stop and it took me to prison. That's what it, it had to take. It had to take me to be confined and it taken away from everything. I wasn't the type to get in trouble. Like I was the good one in my family. You know, I had held jobs in the community, was a college student. You know, I was basically the mother of my family to my siblings. And I never wanted to be like my mom, right? I never wanted to be like my mom and my dad, but yeah, I was just like my mom and my dad. And it took me going to prison and then coming back home, starting over and um, holidays is what set it off again. And it was back in that insane run, right? take a drink because I knew I couldn't do drugs, but it would always go back to that again. And it, I lost my life. I, I died. A friend and I were partying with some other people and we were swimming in the ditches, ditches that I've always swam in with my kids. And he died. I drowned. The whole experience that happened with that but I was sent back I was sent back and that's a whole different story so how I came back and I was able to save my friend jump back into the water and bring him back to life because he was dead Mm. and that experience really changed my life then I knew I had another chance I had I feel like I had a conversation with people or something the experience I experienced being unconscious dead in between worlds whatever you want to call it 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 changed me I say hell is not hot hell is pitch black and freezing cold I think that's why they say it burns because it's so cold. And then coming back to this world from that, um, the, the, the hell, I would say it's hell and heaven, right? In between worlds. And I should be dead. My head was, my hair was caught up in um, the, the ditch where the water passes through my hair was caught up in the rebar and I couldn't get up. I could see the top of the water. And I remember throughout my life, I always had this dream or seen this image from a little girl, myself. I could see myself aerial vision in this big mass of water, like an ocean. Or sometimes I would see myself from underneath in the ocean, a little tiny person in the water. And I told myself, Molly, this is how you die. Like, this happened already. Let's just take it, right? Take it. And I remember screaming out, like, forgive me, because I should have been with my children that day. And instead, I chose partying and, and drinking and drugging. And that happened. It said I... My friend was dead, and I revived him back. He was in a coma for a long while, long while. And I knew then, the next day when I woke up, everything was so much more vivid. Everything was so much more brighter, louder, colorful. I had another chance, and I I made the decision to go get help. I never been to rehab. I had a shirt that said rehab was for quitters (laughs) at one time. (laughs) I just wanted to learn to stop using drugs and alcohol. And I was already on federal probation. And I had to make the decision with my two older kids. My daughter at the time was using, drinking, drugging, selling drugs. My son was in a group home 
and he had took off and he came home to see me. So it was just all bad. It was just like back into a corner when I came home from prison again after the relapse. It just got worse. And so I had to leave where I was at. And I got to a rehab facility and I stayed there and I ended up learning about why and what happened. Right? What happened to Molly? Why did she start masking and covering up with substance, learning the forgiveness on that path, step work, uh, tons of criminal mind work. I'm truly, truly grateful for the the center that I went to. And it was an enclosed, I, mean, I couldn't leave program. And at that time it was like, six months you could stay there and then you go to the transitional but just as i was leaving the just about to graduate finished the program i was arrested again and this time i was facing an attempted murder case and i'm like wait i didn't do it you know i didn't do it we say that you know people a lot of people say i I didn't do it I'm, i'm not guilty I had to go back to prison again and fight this case, an attempted murder case. And as an indigenous woman in the federal system already on probation, you know, that doesn't look so great, but I had a psychic change. I didn't know it. And I believe my creator had sent me back there. I had to go through the jails that I've been through before. I went through every one of them. And in my culture, we have this dance called the whirlwind and you erase your steps, right? You're erasing your tracks. And I felt like that's what was happening. And I went back to the federal holding facility to fight this case. And I was able to beat it and to walk out of the federal court house building and I knew it wholeheartedly that I was going to leave from the back door of the federal building courthouse and my lawyer's like heck no you're not you're gonna have to go back and you're gonna wait for a bed and they're not gonna let you out but I knew wholeheartedly I just had a, a deeper appreciation and like a connection more faith right more faith and that's what had happened. And it was, it was a, I say a God shot, as I hear. It was divine intervention going back because I had withheld some stuff in my fourth step because I still wasn't trusting people mm-hmm. fully. And it took me going back to a prison and confiding in another inmate, a lady that I had met there who was working the program also and she had we disconnected and I was able to express those things to her my secrets right we're only as sick as our secrets Mm -hmm. and I was able to express those things to her and say them out loud and get them off and boom like it just hit a chisel in my heart or the wall that I had built up and I began to cry I hadn't cried in a long time, long, long time. And all I did was cry and I couldn't even stop crying. And I believe my creator sent me there just to rest and cry and eat and run. Eat, run, cry, sleep, eat, run, cry, sleep. And he allowed me those months and that time to begin my healing process. And... I knew I wasn't guilty of that. And I, like I said, I beat the case and I went home. My mom was waiting there for me and I, we made our way back to the res and I was able to get back into the rehab and I had to start over and I went back into the rehab and I started over. I did the program like full throttle like just lay everything down and tell everything because I wanted to get well and I thought (laughs) 
it's funny because I thought like when you get to step 12, I was going to be like healed and uh, all perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it was so funny. And my sponsor at the time, she's like, no, sweetheart, you have to go and share it with somebody else. And I'm like, what? <laughs> with another woman? No, I don't even like women. They're evil and conniving and manipulative. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that process and um, today I love everyone I love the AA program taught me to love you know they say that we'll love you till you love yourself and I thought that was really weird and kind of sick because my perception of love was like sexual and they wanted something from you right mm-hmm. but in reality it was they genuinely wanted good for you. And it's always the AA, my AA family that checks on me, follows up. If I go off the radar, they'll call me, you know, old sponsors. And like, hey, what, what are you doing? Haven't heard from you. Da, da, da. So AA is a huge part and it's my foundation. I do work another program, but uh, ultimately AA it always circles me back. It always loves me. It always has open arms for me. Yeah. When I talk to a lot of people, that is like the most common foundation is AA. You know, with me, it was when I was coming out of treatment, that was what I went to is AA, you know. And, you know, people find their different paths of recovery, but AA seems like it's the the most common foundation there is. Yes, it's the start of it, right? Start of everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, when you said that, when you talked to this other lady and told her all your secrets and whatnot, it was like a chisel to your heart. That's exactly what I felt too, because I all I've been to treatment. I don't know how many times outpatient treatment. You know, I went to three residential treatments, and it wasn't until this last time that I was able to, you know, just just be able to talk to the clinician there. You know, and when I did that, when you said it, just like opened everything up. That's exactly what I felt like. It was it, it like took all of that stuff that I wasn't able to talk about and to say because, you know, I was taught, like the Native people were taught not to talk about your feelings or or your traumas or things that you've done when you were drunk or things that happened to you. Um, You're supposed not to talk about it because, you know, that's shameful and that's, that's that's not something that you tell other people. But when I did that and I was able to talk for the first time to a clinician, it just like, like you said, it just like opened opened that gate out. and I, it, it allowed me to talk more and talk more. And that's ultimately why I'm here now is just like talking, you know, um, trying to show other people that, you know, what you went through, it, it was, you know, could have been the worst times of your life. But in order to start healing from that, I think I think you need to open up, you know, and, and talk to somebody safe, you know, somebody who, who's a safe person or, you know, even write it in a journal if you, if you don't have anybody, uh, just to put it on paper just to um, open that up and weight starts to lift, you know. Yes, definitely bring it to light. To thy own self be true. That's that's ultimately what it is, right? We try to put this front up or I wasn't that bad or whatever. Mm. <laughs> like, you know, we, we cross some invisible lines that we said we never would. And that's shameful and that's a lot of guilt, but it's in the past, right? And we just got to let it go and keep moving forward. Name it, call it, 
for what it is and just leave it. My first sponsor had taught me that. She's like, she gave me this analogy and she's like, I want you to go in that room right there and I want you to drag all your crap with you that you're carrying with you and stop in the middle of the room and leave it there. Leave it there and walk away. Mm. What? I'm like, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) And it worked. It worked. But I still go back, run back and go through that garbage and pick something up that I think I need and hold on to it. You know, it took a long while to really start detaching and letting go of things that hurt me. The first thing is forgiveness of self. I tell people, forgive yourself for what you put yourself through, but thank yourself also for getting through those times. I used to think, why me? Why me? Like a victim, right? But ultimately today, now it's like, thank you, because I know this is going to help somebody else. I know this experience is going to help. Help. Um, at a very young age, my, I lost my mom, my dad, and my brother. And my brother physically, he was murdered in front of me. And on that day, I lost my mom and my dad, not physically, but mentally, emotionally. My mom lost it and went on a drunk, and my dad blamed himself, so he left. And at 12 years old, that left me the only, the oldest now, and taking care of five siblings. So I had to figure it out, right? And as Indigenous people, we live sometimes two and three lives, right? We're one person at home and we're another person at school. And then just out in general, we, we already practice these cover-ups, right? We're not to tell what goes on at home. Yeah. And for a long time, I kept those secrets and learned that's where the street mentality and the criminal mentality had to kick in you know how do i feed these kids (laughs) how do i do this and um just figure it out and learned how to steal food stamps from people's mailboxes then that's when you got those little packets you know Mm -hmm. um every teaching i have it, it helped me like my dad taught me how to drive young, taught me how to work on cars. And my mom and my brother really taught me like cleaning, cooking. And now I get it. Like it was for preparing me for that day, right? Because you're going to have to take on this role. And it was a long while that I, I took, took, took care of my brothers and sisters and my mom thought it was a brilliant idea to move to the city from the reservation at about 13. And that was different, right? You could no longer live off the land and nobody helped you, right? Mm-hmm. You're just left there. Mm-hmm. And so the, you had to figure it out again. And I was too young to get a job. So then the stealing of cars, tearing down cars, selling cars, parts, learning those um, techniques, I guess you would say, or skills or whatever you want to say they are. Another friend, uh, another Native family was in the city and my mom, our moms party together all the time. And so the kids, one of the boys had taught me that and then learning to steal from the stores, right? I always said, I'm going to steal only what I need, you know, the toilet paper, paper towel, you know, the foods and necessities that we need. And um, it just began more and more and more, right? And then it went into the drug dealing and the, like, always more and more and then crossing international borders and bringing in stuff. It just grew and grew. Um, My mom taught me how to sell cocaine, when I was 16, I had my first child and she was going to prison at that time and help 
She's like, you know, you need to pay for bills and taught me that. And my dad was my partner in crime. Like we did a lot of illegal activity throughout our years. The fallback, right? The crutch of that life. But then I'd go away like, no, I'm good. I don't want to do that. And then I'd go back to that. But it was always there. It was always there. The, it was so embedded. And when my first sponsor said, Molly, you only have to change one thing. And I'm like, what is that? Because I want to get it right. I want to get an A, right? I want to get an A on this. I'm an overachiever and I can do this and that. She said, everything. You have to change everything. And I'm like, how? How do I do that? As I was in treatment, people begin to die, get killed. Um, people were getting long stints of time. And I remember my brother was selling drugs at the time when I was in rehab and he would buy me my supplies. And one day I told him, I said, give it to our sister, another sister of ours, because I know she works for the tribe. Give her that money so she can buy the stuff and then she will bring it to me because I don't want that drug money. I don't, I don't want it any more part of that. I don't want it. I'm done with it. And he was like, what? <laughs> and that, that was going to be the hardest one. Like, how do I detach from him? Because that's my baby brother. And I've always covered up for him, right? Or always enabled. And he ended up getting the 18 years sentence before I um, left the rehab. And that's God, right? That's created. God doing for me what I could not do for myself, taking those people out of my life, putting people, people changing, people sobering up, people just going away for a long time. And it made it easier. And federal probation made it easier also, being on for so long. And that was my, my journey, the beginning. And um, I, I'm coming up on 11 years, May. Wow. But no fronts, right? <laughs> so I'm 10 years clean and I can't even fathom that sometimes. Like I couldn't even stay clean for 10 minutes, right? Man. And today it's 10 years. Wow. It's been a crazy, amazing journey. I got married in recovery. I got divorced in recovery. At six years clean, I'm in a domestic violence shelter running from my husband at the time. And I'm like, how did I end up here again? How did I end up in this situation? I was doing everything right. I'm going to college. I have my kids, two of my kids back. He has a career. He's in recovery. We're both. I'm chairing a meeting. Like, how does this still happen? And the street mentality was just there. I, I'm stubborn and wasn't able to surrender, like always being self-sufficient, right? I didn't need a man. <laughs> I didn't need a man. That was my thought, right? Not being able to submit, I guess, fully. I don't know, really, but it was an experience. And I remember leaving with some change and two of my kids and the backpacks and starting over again. I'm like, I can't show my daughter this. I had just gotten custody of, of them and um, I don't want my son to grow up thinking this is right and I don't want my daughter to think this is right. And so we left. And 2018, I was divorced, finalized and it's been a journey. It's been a really journey. It's work. Like I said, I went back into construction, really like shoveling, tying rebar, laying concrete, like whatever I needed to do and just kept going. And today I have my own business. I'm in a healthy, loving relationship. And that's funny because the guy, my best friend that saved, and that I went to prison for, for the attempted murder. We are both together now, today, and we have a business together and we help other people in recovery. He wow. is eight years clean and wow. I am 10 years clean. Oh my gosh. Whoa. <laughs> That's so crazy. 
<laughs> Amazing. Dang. Yeah. Wow. Creator's funny, right? He has the sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you had such a a man, just like a storybook. I mean, like crazy <laughs> storybook, you know? You could write a book with yeah, your life. I am. Oh, you I do am it. Writing Heck my memoirs. Yeah. Oh my gosh, man, man, this is still things still like come up. Even your like when you were saying, um, you got to learn to forgive and stuff like that. You know, do things like people start still bring up things that you did before? Um, because I know, man, just. I got a text last night from a family member and it just brought brought me back to that place, you know, where I was just like a stupid drunk, you know, and they, they've seen it. They All my family have seen it, you know, and they bring it up and maybe, maybe they're struggling right now or something. But um, yeah, I got a text. I got a text saying, you know, how I was, I have a podcast, you know, but, but don't forget who, who, who you were, you know, when you were stupid drunk or something like that. And it brings me, it, I don't know how to explain it. It's like, it has this grasp on me, you know, that, that emotional part of me that I'm just like, oh, how do I, how do I fix this? You know, <laughs> or, yeah. or I don't know what to say or what to do, you know, just what I'm trying to do is trying to, <laughs> you know, uh, just help people, you know, just trying to send hope out there. And, but still the, the past seems like it keeps, you know, bringing, bringing it back, you know, does that happen to you or, how do you work through that if it does? Yes, it does. Um, I've had to learn to definitely forgive and forget, not necessarily forget, right? And when that happens, I tell myself and I think that, okay, I must be doing something right because somebody wants to knock me down, right? The You're doing something amazing, and our disease is cunning, baffling, and powerful, right? And it comes from all angles. It'll catch us when we least expect it or when we're asleep, dreams. It comes in wherever it can wedge in at. And we have to always be on guard for that. And I sometimes have to tell my disease, like, literally out loud when it's messing with my head overpoweringly like I get into these depressive states right when people say something or I'm, we are our worst critic we are our worst critic it's never enough right we're not doing enough or we get into those modes sometimes I've learned to have gratitude and I've learned that when those things happen it's the people are miserable or something's going on in their life and so they want to attack us and we must be doing something good and right because this disease wants to take anything and everything good from us. It wants to see us fail. It wants us dead ultimately, right? And we don't necessarily have to be dead physically. We can be dead emotionally, spiritually first, and then we can be dead physically. I think. Mm, yeah. What would you say to someone who is struggling right now? Reach out. Reach out to someone and know that there is help. Now, today, there are more so centers, detox centers everywhere. And just don't use for today. Just get through today. Maybe hit a meeting. But definitely reach out because we can struggle in recovery and we can struggle out when we're in our active addiction. Yeah, and don't give up. Never give up. Never give up. And it's work. 
we've burnt all our bridges, right? We've burned all our bridges. And I, I read somewhere a long time ago, um, shortcuts cut us short. And when we're in our addiction, we always try to cut corners and just <laughs> manipulate and get by. Now we have to do everything the long way. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. I always try to try to get what I could get. <laughs> no matter what <laughs> manipulate yes. my family and you know <laughs> oh my gosh mm-hmm. yeah and that's what i <laughs> that's what i gotta remember too is you know give yourself some grace too you know a lot of people have been through a lot and and if you're if, if you've come out of treatment you're not fixed (laughs) you still gotta live your life and life is ups and downs man you know (laughs) definitely i'm like 90 days is nothing you're barely waking up i mean 90 days clean i'm barely reading these readings but i had no idea what i just read you know fully didn't understand it and one day i remember hearing the promises and it still makes me cry to this day when I hear someone read the promises because those are true. It it will come. And in the beginning, I'm like, that's just crazy. How is that supposed to happen? You know, I just couldn't see this far ahead. And it it really touched me because it, it's powerful. It, it is. It's true what it says in the promises. And it's, it is just for today, one day at a time. I heard in a meeting also, it's like if you have one foot in yesterday and one foot in tomorrow, you piss all over today. So you just enjoy the moment. Man. Just take it as it comes. That's so true, man, because I always future trip, you know? <laughs> and then a text comes in and I think about what I was like in the past. Oh, man, I'm doing it right now. <laughs> yes. It's totally true. I'm going to go out there and sit with my son and throw a football or something <laughs> in the moment, right? <laughs> oh. Enjoy and savor that moment savor those moments like time is precious yeah no kidding man time is precious definitely forgiveness i wanted to share a little bit about forgiveness and how i knew when i was ready and done so i had shared my brother was murdered right and when i was in treatment i got this job as a driver transportation driver and I was able to take people to meetings and that really set the foundation. I was able to go all over Phoenix area. So I was really psyched about it. I got a job and I'm going to get a place. You know, I had this goal and what had happened during that night is like this, this male had tried to rape me and I had told my brother about it. And so my brother confronted him and they got in a fight. And then the guy ended up killing my brother, stabbing him multiple times in front of me as a little girl. And I carried that for so long. I carried it like it was my fault. Like I did that. If I didn't say anything, then maybe he would still be here. My mom would still be here and everything would still be perfect. Right? But it wasn't perfect. I didn't realize my dad was a a functional alcoholic and... Um, he he was very violent now that I look at it. And when I was in treatment, like I say, I'm creative funny. So I'm really psyched up about my job, right? And I have no idea where I'm going. My first assignment, I got a van and I'm going and I'm going to go pick up a patient. I'm taking him to an appointment and <laughs> takes me right to the gentleman that did this. Uh-huh. That did this to me and to the, to my brother, and I'm like, oh, uh. <laughs> and for a long, and he and he's in a disabled state, and that's a part of me because I would 
anytime I could, I'd be violent to him, right? Or have somebody beat him up or, you know, just just angry with the whole situation. But he was in recovery. He still is in recovery. And I had to tend to him. I had to help him. And he went back inside and he said he was going to get his stuff. And I'm like, okay, Molly, are you in or are you out? That was my test, right? Are you going to say some harsh, crazy words to this man and like beat him up or something? Or are you done with that life? Are you, you said you forgave him because I did. I said some, I wrote some stuff and forgave him. And I had to put him in the front seat and I had to help him on and off the van. And finally, one day we're at a meeting kind of around the anniversary time and we're sitting there sharing a pizza and we both made amends to each other. I had to make amends to him and tell him I was sorry for all the times that I tried to hurt him and I had conflicted pain on him and he apologized to me about the whole situation that had happened and he didn't go into detail but he had just said I'm He was sorry, and he was on a different path, and I just left it like that. I'm not saying I'm friends with him, but we made those amends, and I had, we had went to many meetings together, and that's the power of forgiveness. Man, how tough that would have been. Oh, my gosh. I'm having trouble. Yeah, I'm having trouble. Holy cow. (laughs) You're like living proof of that right there, you know? Wow. You tell yourself, are you in or are you out? Recovery is black and white. You're in or you're out. Just like when we were engaging in criminal activity or addiction. We were fully Mm -hmm. in, right? We, We didn't care what the consequences were. We were in it. So why can't we be that way for recovery? Fully in it, full throttle. Wow. All the work we've put into using, we put it towards helping or getting to a meeting. So I say it's black and white. There's no gray. Mm-hmm. No. Man, your share is just so amazing. I could like sit here and listen to you. Talk is just so amazing. Thank you so much, man. It's beyond your wildest dream, right? A recovery we're living. We're living today, Ralph. We're not no longer just existing. We're living. I'm so, so grateful that Janae referred you and I got you on finally. Molly. (laughs) Thank you so, so much for... Uh, courageously sharing your story. What a powerful, powerful share. Thank you so much. Masapo, we say in our language. There's no word for thank you, but mm. masapo. Any, any other thing that you want to share before we end this? I like to say to everybody, just be good to yourself. Be good to yourself and drink lots of water. Water is life. <laughs> Water is life. Most definitely, water is powerful. It can take a yeah, life or give wow. life. Yeah. Sustain life. Yeah. All right, Molly. We're going to call it an episode. So thank you again. Thank you so much. Yes. If you're a person who would like to share your story about mental health, sobriety, or recovery, or know a person who would like to share their own story, please visit my website at anonymouseskimo.com and drop me a line or leave me a voicemail so we could maybe bring hope to someone still struggling. If you'd like to help support this podcast, please visit my website at anonymouseskimo.com and click on the donate button. 
You can also support the podcast by clicking on the store button where you can get anonymous Eskimo merch. And while you're visiting my website, please take some time to rate this podcast and write a review. Listen next week when I have another strong, courageous person who is walking with us on this healing journey. Biura! Sober as... Sober as...